0: Well, if you have a Bible, uh, join me in 1 Peter chapter 5, as this uh, is now the third uh, of four messages that we've called Chasing Huckleberries. I hope it's been a blessing to you like it's been a blessing to me. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're talking about this this beautiful wild fruit that grows in so much of the kind of Rocky Mountain area where we as Fresh Life have uh, church at and, and our, 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 where we live and we call home. And uh, just some some correlation to our seeing God grow in us the things that he wants to. Huckleberries are just really, quite honestly, I don't need any spiritual reason to, to do this series. Huckleberries are amazing. They're, they're delicious. They're great um, on pancakes. They're great. They're great in every different way. I mean, there's there's so many different ways that you can enjoy a huckleberry. But, but here's kind of the thought this week. Uh, humans are not the only creatures that enjoy the taste of huckleberries. That's, that's the problem. Um, I'm, I do a little research, actually. Um, found out there are a lot of different creatures in the forest that really enjoy huckleberries and think they're delicious like you do. Um, deer like huckleberries. Uh, snowshoe hares, never heard of such a thing before. Uh, <laughs> apparently, it is a rabbit that has feet probably like a snowshoe. Um, that's, I should I have Googled it before I got into this, but I didn't. Uh, birds. Birds like huckleberries. Rodents like huckleberries. Uh, other small mammals, so use your imagination on that. Uh, moose apparently like the taste of huckleberry leaves, uh, So which which we talked about last week. We learned a lot about leaves. And apparently the moose, I'm like, wait. When I read that, I'm like, does the, does the moose just like nothing but leaves? Because that's the opposite of what God's interested in. But obviously, the moose got their thing going on. Uh, get this, coyote scat. Yep, that's that's what it, you think it means. Uh, coyote scat, it uh, has been found to contain uh, huckleberries. Uh, so obviously, huckleberries like the taste. Uh, coyotes like the taste of huckleberries because coyote scat has, how do you get the berry in the scat if you don't like it? It's, that's where it's at for a coyote. They like to eat them and then you're like, what's scat? Uh, Google it. Um, <laughs> listen to this. There are at least six species of bees that collect huckleberry pollen. So the bees like the huckleberries. Uh, grasshoppers like uh, huckleberries. Yellow jackets and wasps in times of drought will resort to huckleberries to get uh, hydration. So they, they like them. So really, the moral of the story is everybody likes huckleberries, really, at the end of the day. Coyotes, right? I mean, everything from a, everything from a, a, a mouse to the moose. I mean, they, everybody in the forest likes a huckleberry. But, but the animal probably most commonly associated with the huckleberry, of course, is the bear. Uh, the bear. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. Title of the message is Bears and Berries. Bears and berries. Matter of fact, you cannot say huckleberry without saying bear. Bear is right there in the middle of the huckleberry. And so obviously, uh, it is not uh, enough to know that um, as you're eating a delicious huckleberry uh, that grasshoppers like them. You also have to worry about this guy uh, looking for them in the bush next door to you, which is a problem. It's Everything from the, the grasshopper to the grizzly likes the taste of them. And I guess that makes the huckleberry probably the riskiest berry on earth to eat. Think about it. I mean, you're never going to eat a strawberry uh, and, and and worry about a grizzly bear uh, biting your head off or a raspberry and a great white shark you know, uh, munching your kidneys. No, you have to worry, though, if you have a taste for adventure, if you have a taste for something delicious and, and slightly sour and a little bit like a blueberry, but so much better. Uh, the, the huckleberry looks down on the blueberry with judgmental eyes. Um, You just have to know that grizzly bears, listen, they find huckleberries delicious. Not just grizzly bears, but black bears also. And they're a problem because black bears can climb a tree where where grizzlies can't. So they're they're both an issue, right? Um, But bears don't just like huckleberries. They depend on them. Listen, I read that huckleberries are integral to the survival of both black and grizzly bears. Now, when I read that, I'm like, what? Like, what does that even mean? Like, I, I picture it like a delicacy. Like, after it eats a couple people, it goes and gets some berries, just like, <laughs> like we would have like a little like creme brulee. But, but no, no, no. Turns out, this, this actually blew my mind, that, that bears, uh, both cl- black and grizzly, are, are pretty much vegetarians. Uh, 90% of their diet comes from uh, leaves and grass, and fruits and roots, the leaves, the grass, the roots, the fruits, right? And, and so uh, the, only 10% of the diet comes from meat. Uh, but even that, uh, the, the, the largest percentage of, of the meat that they eat, of that, which is only 10% of their diet, uh, the majority of it comes from uh, animals that have, this is what I read, died of natural causes. Like, how do they know that, right? It's like the, 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 that, that poor old rabbit was just walking with its walker down the path and then tipped over, right? Died of natural causes, right? Like the bear's like, oh, it's just out of natural causes. I will eat it, right? Um, but a lot of the, the meat that animals, uh, the bears eat, is, uh, is, is, is left over from, from what humans have killed. And any carcass they leave, any remains they leave behind, bears will come upon it and, and eat it as well. So only 10% of the diet is, is meat, and 90% is, uh, what do we say, leaves, and grass, and roots, and fruits, right? So, uh, but get this, they, they eat about 80 or 90 pounds per day. So how much grass does it take? How many berries does it take? How much? How many? How many roots does it take to get to a, almost hundred pounds per day, which they need to eat? So that's a lot of a lot of this uh, this produce, right? Bears would love them some whole foods, is what they would they would love. But out of all of their diet, it's estimated that a third of the food they eat is berries. A third of the the food that a bear will eat is Berries. That means that while we're like, oh, that's something delicious, I'll put in a scone. A bear's like, no, that is something I need for survival, right? So that gives you a different picture of how a bear approaches berries from how we go just l- 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 laxative go out scampering into the forest to get a pail of, of berries, and then they're like, no, I need to eat. I need 90 pounds of this today, right? And or I'm or I'm gonna die. And um, so 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 I, what I want you to do is bring all of that with me. The idea that that as you are hunting for something, you're not the only one who's doing some hunting. And I want you to bring that with me because it perfectly prepares us for what Peter is going to give to us in 1 Peter 5. The word for the week is hunted. Now you didn't know there was a word for the week because I haven't been telling you. Uh, but, the, but the first week, the, the word that, that, I, that I gave you was hardship in the message. And the second week was hypocrisy. And uh, at the student camp, I, I gave a secret Huckleberry message just to the students only. And the word was hurry. The word was hurry. Uh, you had to be a student and be at camp because uh, we believe so much in our students. We believe so much in the Fresh Life students, junior high and high school. And uh, but so they got kind of an alternate uh, Huckleberry message just for them. But, but the word for the week is hunted. And if, you, if you're in 1 Peter 5 or you, you can join us on the screen, verse 8 says, be sober. Someone say, be sober. sober. Be vigilant because your adversary The devil walks about like. Notice the word like. It's not a roaring lion. It's just like a roaring lion. Matter of fact, in in the Greek, the phrase roaring lion just speaks of an animal who's wailing and bellowing because he's hungry, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Shove your neighbor say, resist him. Steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And Jesus, we just ask you to speak to our hearts. Thank you so much for this word of warning and how helpful it is. We would sometimes rather be encouraged, but, but here you obviously want to warn us. And I pray that we would heed that warning. Thank you for the danger that can be avoided because of what's about to happen as you speak to us through your word. Thank you so much, God. There's so many times in, in our lives we look back and go, oh, I wish I would have known. But here we, here we have the chance for this to become foresight. And we don't have to bemoan it as what we wish would have been hindsight. And I just pray, God, just to, just one thing, that you would open our eyes to see where we're in danger, where we can make decisive decisions that will keep us safe. Pray that over every single heart listening to this message at every location, church online, every single person. And I ask that if there's anybody who's right now listening to this message who is without God, without hope in this world, who doesn't have that beautiful peace that comes from knowing that Jesus has saved their soul, I pray that, that you would draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit, and that where there was death going into this message, there would be life coming out because of the power of the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. We said together, Peter, we told you at the onset of this series, as we began in 1 Peter chapter 4, he wrote this epistle primarily to Christians who were suffering, Christians who were going through difficulty, and he he wanted to help them make sense of their hardship. In fact, it's been said that you could actually describe uh, 1 Peter as an epistle to those who hurt an epistle to those who hurt, a letter to those who hurt, an email to anybody who's hurting. So if, if you're hurting, it's a perfect place to go. If you're, if you're in any kind of hardship, it's a great place to be. Peter writes to them to help them make sense of their pain. But, but he also, now here in chapter 5, it, it shifts gears a little bit from, from just pain and what to do about your pain. And he, and he wants you to know that, that there's something else going on. That there's someone hunting you, someone on the prowl. So it's not just your pain now. It's something else that is on the prowl that you need desperately to be aware of. And that that you're surrounded by unseen spiritual opposition. And from this text, I want to show you that your success and your safety comes down to these things. First of all, jot it down, what you assume. Your assumptions. Your assumptions about life or your beliefs about life, what you think about life. I want to talk to you today about the the unseen spiritual opposition and your safety and success being key to what you assume, what you hold to be true. When you go out into the forest, you should, if you understand how much bears need berries, that there are bears. You should assume every time you go out huckleberry hunting, assume that there are bears. Where there are berries, there are bears. Where there are berries, there are bears. Where there are bears, there are berries. So your assumption shouldn't be maybe there are bears, but there are probably bears out here where we're going. Similarly, if you're a believer in this world, if you're following Jesus, your assumption every day getting up should be I have an enemy and my enemy is out to get me. I have an enemy, and my enemy is out to get me. In fact, in the message translation, it says, the devil is poised to pounce. Poised to pounce. So, you're thinking about the enemy shouldn't it just be, I have an enemy. I have an enemy that's poised to pounce, that's crouching, that's, that's, that's waiting to explode. A hungry, angry, uh, malevolent being that, that, that hates me and wants to destroy me. Now, of the devil, when we talk about Satan and we talk about demons and we talk about all this, I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. He talked about how there are two equal and opposite errors that our kind tend to make. It was in the foreword to the screw tape letters. Uh, he, he talked about 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 how uh, one mistake would be to be paranoid about the devil, and the other would be to be oblivious to the devil, right? And he doesn't much care which side of the horse you fall off on. Because either way, once you've fallen off, you're not on the horse anymore. And you can't ride forward. You can't move forward. So he would he would have you to either on the one hand, just be skittish. The devil's under every rock. The devil the devil made me do it. The devil's in this. And like, you're like overly paranoid about him, not understanding the power of God in you and all of that. But on the other side of the extreme, being completely oblivious to it, just completely writing him off, uh, and that's antiquated, that's a fable. Like, like we can't, there can't be a real character. And of course, this would then play into the comic book figure with the, the horns and the pitchfork. And believe, the devil would love for you to think that, because he doesn't want you to think he's, he's crouched in the long grass ra- waiting to pounce, waiting to explode with all the energy that he can out for you. So what do we understand about the devil? We understand that he is there. He is poised to pounce. We need to assume this. If we wake up every day assuming that this is true, knowing it prepares you for it. In knowing it, there's preparation for it. You see, when you anticipate the attack, you are braced for impact. And we aren't just like, Just moving along as though everything wouldn't be great when we should know there is going to be opposition, not just from our own sinful nature and not just from the world that is hostile at times, the world thinking that is hostile to the gospel, but also knowing there is an actual enemy who hates God and he wants to hurt us to hurt God's heart. Okay, what do we know of him? That his uh, agenda is to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is from the mouth of Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 10. What is his goal? He is not there to play nice, he is there to steal to kill and destroy. If it's not for those three things, he won't even show up in the room. Right, So he is out to harm your marriage. He's out to harm your family. He's out to harm your witness. He's, he's out to harm the glory of God in the world to bring uh, a sense of disbelief in God because of how God's people live. He wants to harm us. He wants generations of sin stacked up one upon the other. He wants unhealthy things to be passed from father to son and from son to, to daughter. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. He is not playing checkers. He is playing chess. So a move over here is never just that. In checkers, it's like, why'd you do that? Well, I just, I was just I thought it would be fun, double-decker my checker, right? In chess, everything is thought through three, four, five, seven moves ahead. So sometimes we say, OK, what's the harm in this to something the enemy wants to do in our lives? Thinking, well, there's no big deal to it. No, there's not actually a big deal. But he knows once you've said yes to this, it's going to be much harder to say no to that down the road. Because now there's precedent. And now he's got his foot in the door. And the foothold becomes a handhold, becomes a choke and he will soon take you down and slit your throat before you even know what is happening. But you invited him in because the devil has no more power over you than you are willing to give him in that way. And you are much more dangerous to yourself than the devil is. The devil has to ask God permission to mess with you. You don't have to check with anybody before you make a mess of yourself. Okay, so what you assume. That's the first thing. Jot this down. Uh, Your safety and success is attached to what you see. To what you see. When you go out into the woods, when you go out picking huckleberries, I'm out for the great things that God has for me. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to be a Christian dad. I'm going to be a Christian businessman. You have to remember, just like when you're out in the woods, you have to keep your eyes scanning. You don't just keep your eyes only on the berries. You also have to be aware that I need to look around. I need to be scanning the area. Keep your eyes, I hate this expression, It just grosses me out. I don't like the sound of it at all. It sounds so horrible. But keeping your eyes scanning to and fro. You need to watch. You need to watch. Come on, say it with me. You need to watch. And that's why the text says to be sober and be vigilant. To be sober and to be vigilant. What does sober mean? Well, the actual word speaks of being clear-headed, not being fuzzy-headed, having your wits about you. Uh, be, keeping yourself in the right frame of mind. What does the word vigilant mean? The word vigilant means being always on guard, always on guard, always on guard. Not letting your life just go by, like pay, paying attention. What's happening? Where is this going to lead? What will this, with compounded interest, be like eventually? What is this small thing going to What if you always on guard? I Like, if you're, if you're smart and you're huckleberry picking, you're keeping your eyes up. What's happening? Is there a moose coming in? from over here? Is is, is there a grizzly bear with a cub? Like, that's a problem. You want to keep your eye scanning. Similarly, you need to be sober and to be vigilant. Now, here's something I wrote down. You can't be sober or vigilant when you're drunk. You can't. It's impossible to be sober if you're not sober, and it's impossible to be vigilant when you're not sober, right? When you're drunk, you can't be vigilant. When you're drunk, you can't be sober. Now, listen to me. There are, there are, there are great reasons not to abuse alcohol. There are great reasons not to abuse alcohol. Like uh, this recent American uh, journal from the Medical Association that reported that one out of eight Americans are alcoholics now. One out of eight. And they said this. It's up 49% since the year 2000. So from 2000, it is just skyrocketing. They point to stress, and they point to a, a sense of despair in our culture, a growing sense of despair and, 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 and the growing sense of stress. And they say for those under 30, it's one out of four. So one out of eight Americans, but under 30, one out of four say that, uh, that they, 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 they are alcoholic according to the current definition. And it's, it's killing people at a, at a crazy high rate. 88,000 deaths a year in America, alcohol related, from alcohol abuse. 88,000 deaths a year related to alcohol abuse. and Scripture puts a, a very balanced perspective on alcohol. It's something that can be enjoyed, but should be enjoyed cautiously. It's something that can be enjoyed, but you should, you should understand the dangers associated. You should understand how easily it can swing from just the enjoyment of something that God has given to us to something that can be abused and take control of your life and do great harm. Uh, so like I said, there are a lot of reasons not to abuse alcohol. The cirrhosis of the liver, that's, uh, clearly that's kind of a problem. Okay, but to me, the biggest reason not to abuse alcohol, not to come to a place where you are drunk, which is what the scripture says is sin. Never in the Bible you find uh, that the drinking is a sin, but being drunk is clearly something we're told is something that's a sin. And the biggest reason I would say for you to not do so has to do with who's in the driver's seat of your mind. When you're drunk, you're no longer in the driver's seat of your mind. And it's this that Ephesians says is the reason we shouldn't get drunk. Look what it says in Ephesians 5. It says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would he all of a sudden shift gears to talk about who's controlling you? Being filled with the Spirit is synonymous to being controlled with the Spirit. Because get this, don't miss it. Listen to me very carefully. Not only while you're under the influence of alcohol. And those words are just so charged, aren't they? When you get drunk, you're putting yourself under the influence of who? Good question. Not God's Spirit, the Spirit's. Maybe they should call. Oh, they do. OK. Right. So you're, you're under the control of these spirits while you're intoxicated. And not only is it easier to do things you'll regret while you're under the spirit's influence, but it's harder to put yourself under God's influence while you're under the other thing's influence. You can't be voluntarily. Because here's the thing. As we follow Jesus, we're all hopefully trying to each moment, each minute, Each day, we're trying to put ourselves under God's influence in the the situations that we're in. We're in a conversation. We're in an interaction. We're driving down the road. Hopefully, we can say, God, take the wheel. God, take the wheel. Give me the words to speak. Help me know what to do. Help me know how to say. Help me know how to deal with this situation, right? So so to the extent that you're under the Spirit's control, and that would be being drunk where you're under the Spirit's control. You're no longer under your own influence. That's why you should not be driving a car legally, right? When that happens, you cannot be cognizantly putting yourself under God's influence. So you can eat more, more easily do things that you regret, and you'll have a harder time feeling the Spirit's tug who's trying to interfere, who's trying to uh, influence your decisions and actions and words. So what you see is exceedingly important. We need to fight to stay sober and vigilant because the enemy is looking for any way he can to get into your home. He's looking for any way he can to get in between you and your spouse, to get you to violate your marriage vows, to get you to do something that you're going to live with down the road, something that just takes a moment to do, an hour to do, an evening to do, but that you can then live with for decades, live with for, for the, re- the rest of your life, and your family can even have lingering about them forever. And of course, in all of these things, God can work. In all of these things, no matter what you do, if you're here like, gosh, I, I was in a drunk driving accident, I don't have my license, or I did this, and I regret this, let me tell you something, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never exhaust it the grace of God. And today can be a new day. And today can be an opportunity for God to begin to build something new and to restore trust. It takes that line in the sand. It takes that from here on out. But, but, but much better than, than, than creating new fallout and collateral damage for God then to work in would be for us to honor God in the present. And that's where we are today, hopefully, wet cement that we can see God build what he wants to in our hearts. So we have to get to safety and to get to success with these wild huckleberries, God wants for us, we have to take care of what we see. That's the second. Here's the third. Jot this down. What you think. What you think. Uh, if you're in the woods and you want to make it out safely, if you're in the woods and you wanna you wanna come out of that with everything going right, it's important what you think. And, and what you gotta do uh, is learn to think like a bear. You gotta learn to think like a bear. Now, how do you think like a bear? You gotta get desperate. If you wanna think like a bear chasing a huckleberries, you gotta get desperate. You're like, I need some answers on what that means. Well here's 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 some little research I did. Bears sleep five to seven months a year. Five to seven months I wish I was a bear. That sounds that sounds best. That sounds the best. Five to seven months of the year they're sleeping, that leaves then seven to five months of the year to eat for a whole year. Since while they're sleeping, they can't do any eating. They sleep 5 to 7. But then during the flip side of that is during the 7 to 5 months, they have to eat for the entire year. So they wake up hungry, and they wake up anxious, and they wake up, what was the word I told you? Desperate. Gotta eat, gotta eat, gotta eat. Why? So I can go sleep again. Their entire year is made of gotta eat, gotta eat, gotta eat, gotta sleep, gotta sleep, gotta sleep, gotta eat, gotta eat, gotta eat, gotta, eat gotta, sleep, gotta sleep, gotta sleep, gotta sleep. So they have to, in five to seven months, cram in a whole year of eating. So they're desperate to begin with. But late in the season, they enter into a final feeding frenzy. Late in the season, they enter into a final feeding frenzy just at the same time as the huckleberries begin to ripen. And this is why huckleberries in particular are are indispensable uh, to the survival of grizzly bears and black bears, because they are in that last stretch towards fall when they're going to move towards lethargy and then eventually to hibernation, because they know intuitively that winter is coming. And so they're in a final feeding frenzy as they move towards lethargy and then hibernation. That sounds to me a whole lot like Satan. Satan knows what you need to know, that winter is coming. Satan knows what you need to know, that the end is coming. Spoiler alert, he has read the back of the book, and he knows that in the end, God wins. Matter of fact, Romans puts it this way, now the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I'm telling you something, God's gonna crush Satan. It's gonna be over for him. He's no longer gonna be able to tempt. He's no longer gonna be able to destroy. He's no longer gonna be able to afflict God's people. He will no longer be able to do anything because in the new heaven and the new earth, he will be cast out. There will be nothing that defiles. There will be nothing that causes us to be sorrowful. There will be nothing of disease or decay or death or saying goodbye. So, so he knows and he understands that's happening. And that makes him crazy. And that makes him dangerous. Think about it this way. It, he's got nothing to lose. He's got nothing. He's got he, he's just he's a lunatic. He's a deranged, wild animal who's, who's, who's all he wants to do is kill. I think you could best understand uh, the devil's modus operandi by a Batman quote. If, if, right? I mean, look at how Michael Caine put it. Some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. And that explains the devil. He wants to thrill you so he can kill you. He wants to fascinate you so he can assassinate you. He wants to take you down. He, there's, there's no talking him out of anything. All he wants is to extinguish your witness. He knows if you're a believer, he can't take you to hell. So he wants to keep you from living for heaven so you won't take anyone with you when you go. Because newsflash, all we can bring to heaven is people. That's all that we can send on ahead of us is people and the resource that we give to God so he can reach more people. And as we understand that about the devil, we can learn to think like he thinks. And that will help us to understand there, there's, there's no buying him off. And, and so the lies that he tells us about him won't work. What are the two lies? Here, here they are. Number one, just once more, and then I'll be done. Just once more, and then I'll be done. And the second one is like it. I can stop at any time I want. I'm in control. The devil likes to keep you thinking you're in control. He likes to keep you thinking that you are the one driving. And if you just do it one more time, you'll be happy. If you just do it one more time, you'll be happy. That's the lie that pornography tells If I just look at it this one last time, I'll be happy. And then I'll never do it again. I'll quit tomorrow. I'll stop tomorrow. The drugs, if I just get this high one last time, I'd be happy. And then I'll stop. And then I'll stop. And these are the lies that Satan tells us all the way to to death, which is all that he has planned for us, we have to think like the devil if we're to stand up to the opposition that he brings. There's a fifth, a fourth, rather, and the fourth is this: we to get to success and safety, surrounded by bears, trying to get these berries. We have to know uh, where where we go, where we're going, where you go is 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 the fourth. Write that down: where you go, and specifically, where you go when you're standing on a burn site. You have to be aware of where you're going for these berries. Now, week one, we talked a lot about burnt earth and how that eventually becomes a fantastic place for berries because of the fact that that the fire which first Peter 4 talks about this fiery trial that comes has an unlikely effect of actually bringing greater fruitfulness eventually well bears are hip to that too listen to this that I found in a book called the Huckleberry book oh yeah it says bears may establish an ongoing relationship with burn sites and return to the same place year after year it's in this sense that they mark their patches and they will be troubled to find them picked by other hands. So bears will come back to burn sites. Bears bears have a way of returning back to the same old place, the same old place, the same old place. And guess what? The devil is the same way too. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we are not to be ignorant of his devices. That is to say that he tends to do the same thing over and over again. You're like, why wouldn't he be more creative? Why wouldn't he mix it up? Well, as the old fisherman put it, you don't mix up the bait when the fish are biting. So as long as we'll keep biting on these same few things, the devil's going to keep using these same few things. And really, to understand, his, I think, his two primary ones, it's temptation and trial. Temptation and trial. He comes at us with temptation. Why? to deceive us, and he comes at us with trial. Why? To discourage us. Temptation. He wants, listen to Christian, he wants to keep you from your zeal. Christian mother, he wants to keep you from leading in the home like you're meant to. Student, from being the light you're meant to be at your high school campus. He wants to keep you from from being the light you're meant to be by discouraging you through temptation or deceiving you, uh, discouraging you through trial or deceiving you through temptation. You'll feel so good if you do this, if you take this, if you wear this, if you buy this, if you eat this. If you do that, you'll feel amazing. That's a deception. And then he'll cause you to feel so bad about what you've done that you, it's a lie, but that you can't shine your light any longer. And then to discourage you through the hardship that you face, understanding this about your fire. He knows that it can become fruitful. And He doesn't want to keep you. He doesn't want to see that happen in your life. So, so listen, listen to me very carefully. If you have pain in your life because you have pain in your life. And I've told you again, and I've told you again, and I've told you again, that that fire hasn't been there to destroy you. God allowed it to deepen you, and there can be greater fruitfulness in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your season of affliction, in the midst of that hardship. But the moment you rise up and try to shine your light where you've been at your darkest, you should expect blowback. You should, you should almost like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And when it comes, use that as confirmation that you're on the right track and not in any other direction as like, well, maybe I was wrong and maybe I shouldn't do it. And well, if God really loved me, where, where, where is he in the midst of this difficulty? The moment the devil comes, that should almost be to you like, aha, I see what you're up to, and it's not going to work. Listen to me. Listen to me. The devil understands, and he's terrified of the fact that your wound will become a weapon if you let it get washed by worship. So he doesn't want you, the devil doesn't want you to become the victor. He wants you to stay the victim. He wants you to wallow in sadness and not rise up and learn to wield your hardship, your pain as power. Come on, praise God if you believe that where you have been at your darkest and your loneliest and your saddest, you can rise up in strength and power and usefulness in God's hands. And that fire can prove to burn away things. It will only let the light in that can and bring you to the next level that God has for you. So, so where you go, be aware. Am I on a burn site? Am I treading on ground that, that is one of those old things that the devil's going to come through again and again and again? I'll see him coming, and I'll call it what it is the moment I see it, knowing he will strike with fury if you're onto something. So that means, then, that, that opposition doesn't mean something's gone wrong in your life necessarily it could very well mean that something's gone right, that you're on the right track. Learn to read it properly, interpret it correctly. All right, there's a fifth. Jot this down. Uh, If you want to be successful in safety hunting huckleberries, you got to make sure you you bring the right things. That's the fifth thing, what you bring, what you bring. Namely, you want to bring bear spray. If you're picking huckleberries, you want to have bear spray. I mean, it is so exceedingly important. Matter of fact, some people I know who like know Things like this really well. Like I was like, yeah, but you got a gun too. And like yeah, but I'd rather have bear spray than a gun because you know, for most people, the ability to get that kill shot with a charging bear. I mean, you 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 got you got to really know your stuff and be calm under pressure. And this thing's coming at you. I mean, look at that picture one more time. I mean, this thing coming at you. You want to really really like be calm and under pressure. And and because the the, the bear spray shoots out a big old cloud, you, you don't have to be as accurate with it for it to be effective. And you're probably better off with that. Why does bear spray work so good? Here's why. Because bears smell 200 times better than humans. 200 times. Uh, you're like, how, how, what's that like exactly? It, it would be like this. A bear smells everything the way you smell skunk. A bear smells everything they smell the way that a human being smells gunk. And I was reading in one article, it said, it said, to understand this even better, know this. like If a bear crosses a trail that you crossed on two days ago, so a bear's hitting this trail, you were on it two days ago, it doesn't just know that you are a boy or a girl, it also has a pretty good idea what you ate for breakfast. That's how good a bear smells, OK? So what you bring, pepper spray, it inflames the bear's, you know, tissues all in its nose and stuff to such a degree that hopefully it makes it want to go away. And the thing that I was excited about reading is like one to two second bursts. Not Don't use all your bear spray one one, one charge. Use it all up. And then it's like, oh, it comes back in for a second round. You want to have little spurts of, spurts of. This is just trying to help you out, just keep you alive. That's what I'm trying to do. You're like, what's the biblical parallel to this? What you bring into this world that you walk in every day is essential. And there's a lot of things we could say about it in scripture, what you should be bringing. But I just wrote down these two things, truth and a team. Truth and a team. And I took it from Jesus. How could I do better? Right? I looked at it, I was like, is there times where Jesus was attacked by the devil? And there's two specific times when it seems stronger than any other, the Garden of Gethsemane and the 40 days in the wilderness. Those are times when it seemed, I mean, Satan's always messing with everybody, right? Or at least one of his demons is, right? One of the JV demons. We talk about the devil, like the devil did this. The devil probably doesn't mess with any of us. It's probably like some 15th string demon. You know, the devil's probably in Vegas or something. But, but, but here, here, here's, here's the thing, here, here's the thing. What Jesus brought out in moments of full-court press opposition was truth in a team. In the 40 days in the wilderness, every time the devil tempted him, what did he say? He said, it is written. It is written, it is written. He had something from God's word hidden in your heart, which is why it's so important that you're reading God's word every day and hiding it in your heart. That's why every time we gather, we're gonna open up this book so there's some truth in our hearts for a battle. That's why it's not about whether you felt like it applied to your life today or not. You might be in a battle in a month and you need something from this message to pull out in that moment. So when he comes with temptation to deceive you, you need God's word to help you see clearly because temptation, temptation will get your blood pumping. Temptation will get you, you know, thinking less about consequences and more, it magnifies pleasure and diminishes consequences. That's why gamblers feel like this inflamed sense of, oh, I could win. They're not thinking about having no money for groceries, having no money for rent. It magnifies Temptation magnifies pleasure and minimizes any consequences. It makes you feel invincible. It makes you feel courageous. It makes you feel like you could do anything. Then you do what you did. And you're like, what the heck was I thinking? They weren't. Because all the blood pumped from the head somewhere else, you know, and so in those moments, that's that's what you got to know. It is written truth. You got to hold God's truth up above how you feel. You got to hold God's truth up above how what your heart's saying to you in that moment, because your heart can lie to you. So truth, but also a team, a squad. In the Garden of Gethsemane, every time Jesus uh, was really being squeezed by the devil there in the trial, now that was come to discourage him discourage him from doing what God wanted him to do. What did he do? He he went from him praying by himself and he woke up his friends. He woke up his friends. Peter, James, John, wake up, wake up, wake up. And then he said to them, what did he say in Matthew's gospel? About stay alert. He says, stay alert in the midst of this temptation. Be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. He's like, wake up with me, wake up and pray with me. I need you, I need you in my life. So my question to you is, when you're being squeezed in the vice of temptation, who's in your life for you to wake up? Who's in your life for you to send that text message to? Who's in your life for you to call? Who's in your life to be at your house? Who's in your life to be reminding you of God's promises? That's not true, you're not seeing clearly. God loves you, it's not over, it's not the end. Here's what God's gonna do, here's how we're gonna pray, here's how we're gonna fight, here's how this is gonna go. You need truth and you need a team. You need the Bible and you need some buddies. I'm telling you, you need God's people. You need God's promises to get through what you're going through. That's what you got to bring with you into the difficulty that you face every day, knowing that there are bears coming at you while you're trying to get you some berries. Now, i got one last thing. And we're going to close this down. I also see that for the success and for the safety, there's a huge importance that we need to put on what you say. You have to pay very close attention to what you say. When you go out into the woods, they say it's really important that you talk to the bears. You you say stuff to the bears. So I've had the best fun in my life teaching this to my kids. So we walk through the trails. I don't care if we're like in our in a, in a park. Like there's there's houses everywhere. It's like, hey bear, it's just me bear. Hey, hey, bear, it's just me, bear. Hey, bear, come around the corner. Hey, bear, just me, bear. Just getting some huckleberries. Don't want no trouble, bear. And my my daughter Clover is really taken to it. And she, last time we went, she had a cape on and she's just walking the trails. Hey, bear, just us, bear. Just just getting some huckleberries. Don't want trouble. Don't want nothing. Just, just after the huckleberry. Hey, bear, just me, bear. Why, 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 here we go. Because we don't want to surprise them. And so the sound going ahead of us gives us safety. It's a sound that keeps surprise from happening that leads us to safety. And I see a parallel. You in your life need to be be very careful about the sound coming out of your mouth. There's a sound coming out of your mouth that can keep you from being surprised by the hardship, by the difficulty, by the temptation that's coming at you. You gotta pay attention to your sound. There's a power to your sound. What you say in the woods can get you to success and keep you safe. You gotta be careful of your sound. So what are we to say? We're not saying, hey bear. We don't need to talk to the devil. What we need to focus on is Jesus. We need to say the name Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Our sound is worship and it's powerful and it's a weapon. Matter of fact, Philippians says his name is the name that's above every name at the name of Jesus. Every knee's got to bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. Let me tell you, The name of Jesus is a strong tower and the righteous can run into it and be safe. And so long as you keep that name in your heart and lift it up in your life and lift it up over your home and lift it up over your emotions, you cannot sin and focus on the Savior at the same time. It's impossible. So come on, hop up to your feet if you're not standing. Every Fresh Life location, Church Online, let's lift up the name Jesus. What an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If while you were watching this message, you felt led to make a decision to follow Christ, congratulations. We would love to send you a Bible to help you begin your relationship with Jesus. Please click the Know God tab at freshlife.church or text the word freshlife to 99,000 to receive that. If you've been impacted in any way through what God is doing through Fresh Life Church, we would love to hear from you. Click the Share Your Story tab on our site or email us at story at and share how God is using this work to impact your life. These stories are incredibly encouraging to our staff and our church family. Finally, if you'd like to partner with us and financially support the things that God is doing through this house, you can text the word FRESH to 45777 or you can click the Give tab at freshlife.church. Thank you so much for watching.